Uh, say amen. Amen, amen. If you don't mind taking your Bible, hopefully you brought a Bible, you can stand. We're going to go to Romans chapter 5. Uh, what's going to be on the screen is ESV, so I'll read out the ESV. But if you have your Bible, let's read together. You may not have the same translation that we're going to be reading from, but it's good to be following along in what God is saying in his word. How many are glad to be in the house of God? It's good to be here. Romans 5, verse 6. We're going to go down through verse 11. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Can you say amen? And you may be seated. You know, there's, for all of us, I think, in life, there's, there's reasons on why uh, we, we get reasons on, on to rejoice. Uh, I think for every parent, obviously, it's a joyful time and a reason to rejoice when a, a, when a child is born. The, just the miracle of God, actually, in that. God working to bring forth uh, that child, bringing life uh, and, and uh, the whole process of conception and carrying the child and bringing the child forth, always a reason um, to rejoice. We rejoice at every baptism. One of my favorite times of the service is when someone commits their life to Christ, goes through the waters of baptism, declaring that Jesus Christ has saved them and, and they're experiencing the new birth, always worthy uh, of rejoicing. There, you know, you could rejoice when uh, you're teams that you're rooting for wins particular games or particular big events, or you're watching your, uh, one of your ch children for the first time maybe score a goal on the, on the soccer field. We can, we can go on with reasons to rejoice, and all legit. I'm taking, though, the thought from this passage that Paul tells us that there is a reason to rejoice about salvation and what that means and why, out of all things, to rejoice about, that indeed is the most prominent and permanent, prominent and permanent. Now, uh, if you recall, this was like lesson 19, so uh, in the last couple of lessons, we dealt with Romans chapter 5. We started in verse number 1 dealing with justification and what Christ has done. That's made us right with God. All of us are made right with God. We're justified because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross, because of justification. Yes, we experience that salvation, but also peace with God. We, got, we stand in the grace of God. We got access to God. Uh, we have the hope of glory uh, living in us. Last week, we even talked about, because of justification, how we don't get overwhelmed when we go through trials, when we go through troubles or tribulations. We don't get 
too overwhelmed uh, because we know God is doing something in that. Either character is being uh, developed. We're learning perseverance, learning endurance, and he's anchoring us, anchoring our soul in him and assures us that all will be well by the outpouring of his love by the Holy Spirit. So there's an assurance that even through this, even through this trial, even through this tribulation, I'm with you. I'm not going to leave you. I'm not going to abandon you. How do I know that? Because the Spirit of God has poured the love of Jesus in us. And so we know that we're anchored and we're assured. It's launching off that, that love being poured in us that establishes the fact that our salvation is entirely of God and his love, entirely of God and his love. We, we're, we're, none of us are here because of anything that we have done. He's, he's loved us uh, in spite of us, in spite of our sinfulness. God's amazing love to us is not by any means because we've deserved it. None of us have deserved God's love. We, we, we just don't get there to where we deserve it. It's not, God's love is not based up upon any, any track record of ours. As a matter of fact, it's not even a track record of ours that God continues to pour his love in us as if we're on the right track of performance. It's all about God's love alone. John 3.16, of course, is probably one of the most well-known verses in the Bible, but probably one of the most overlooked for the real true meaning of it. It says this, for God loved the world in this way. He gave his one and only son that whoever or everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is a very straightforward, straight truth statement. There's just no way around that. If you, if you believe in the work of Jesus Christ, if you accept that love, it's a guarantee you will not perish, you will not come to ruin, you will have eternal life. You can absolutely assure yourself that believing in Jesus Christ is an absolute assurance of eternity. This came about because love gave, God gave, God gave his son. It, it's a love with a purpose. It's, it's a love with a desired end. It's a love that convinces us of the reality and the truth of Jesus. Actually, the reality and truth that there is a God who loves us, who sent his son, Jesus. And because of that, we're promised not to come to ruin. We're not to come to a place of perishing, which we'll address a little bit more. First John 4, 9 says it like this. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his one and only son in the world that we might live through him. That's where new life comes. New life comes in Jesus Christ, in the work of Jesus Christ, and believing in Jesus Christ. That's probably not a, a message that's new to you, but, but, but just so that we get the emphasis of it, he tells us who this, this dying Savior was sent for. He, he, he distinguishes on the one hand that it is, it's possible, it's rare, but it's possible that somebody may in, indeed die for someone who's an upright person, someone who just, you just, out of just good character, 
for whatever reason. Maybe you see them getting ready to get hit by a car and you push them out of the way with the risk that maybe the car may hit you. So out of good, good character, good nature, people might put themselves at risk. He said it's even possible uh, that people will die for good people. And the construction of the Greek of there is usually people who will, who will give themselves for someone that they're in relationship with. Probably one of the best examples is, is uh, servicemen who, who, who might go in the way or cover up a, a, a friend uh, while they're serving in the military, knowing that he may die, but hopefully it preserves the life of the one that he's fighting with. And all of those are things that are motivated because we believe that person is worth saving. We believe that person is worth saving. But can I just be honest with you? There is nothing spiritually worth saving about us. Nothing spiritually worth saving about us. He makes it real clear that who he's dying for, I guess this is one case when you can probably rightly use the word deplorables. Those of us that are helpless, those of us that are ungodly, those of us that are sinners, those of us that are enemies of God. It's not like God said, there's some good people down there that I want you to go die for so that they can be with me. No, he looked on the whole scope of the world and said, there's, there's nothing down there but a bunch of ungodly, sinful, enemies of me, people who are weak and helpless. That's who I'm sending my son to die for. It always astonishes me when I really come to think about how I am as a person, that sometimes I got to fight through my own mind of my own worthiness, and yet I read the Bible and God says, I'm dying for you. In your unworthiness, I'm dying for you. When you're struggling with your own self-esteem, I'm dying for you. When it feels like I'm unlovable and who would even care about me? And God says, but I'm sending my son to die for you. Sending my son to die for you. Helpless people, incapable of working any righteousness in of, our, of ourselves. We don't have the capacity from our deadness in sin to even bring up within us a righteousness that God can look upon and say, okay, that seems like somebody that I would be willing to die for. We're, we're absolutely dead in disobedience, absolutely at a place where we cannot save ourselves. Even we see the great illustration of Nicodemus, who on all counts was what we considered a good Pharisee a man who tried to live upright and by the law. And even when he went to Jesus to ask about eternal life, Jesus says, except you be born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. In all of your uprightness, in all of your goodness, in all of you being a good Pharisee, you can't even see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Just like we cannot produce our own natural birth, None of us can produce our own spiritual birth. As a matter of fact, the scripture even goes further than that and says that we weren't even seeking after God. We weren't even trying to find him, according to Romans 3.11. And so what Paul teaches us here, when we were still helpless, when we were still weak, when we were totally unable, 
when we were absolute ungodly people, so different from God, so different that the chasm cannot even be crossed. My ways is not his ways, and his thoughts are not my thoughts. We're so far from God and his holiness. There's nothing we can do to even bridge the chasm. I want you to understand this. No matter how hard you tried, you could never be like God. You could never be like his son, Jesus Christ, without the spirit of God giving in us an awakening, awakening to the fact that we're dead in sin and we need a savior. We're ungodly, we're sinners, we're enemies of him. And I know none of us used to go around when we weren't serving the Lord and say that we were enemies of God. That wasn't something that we would put on our business card. Hey, meet me, I'm Tyrone P. Jones, enemy of God. None of us, is, none of us would do anything like that. But the scriptures are real clear that there's a hostility between us and God, that there's a separation between us and God. There's not a seeking after God by me. There's a chasm that's so wide. I'm alienated from him. Not in the fact that I didn't believe that a God existed, but I'm alienated from him because I did not want him the Lord over my life. That's where the alienation comes. I'll take that fellow who died on the cross that's telling me that I can be forgiven, but I don't want him being the Lord of my life. I don't want him telling me what to do. We want to have the ability to be the lords of our own life. And Jesus says, the scripture says, that's who Jesus came to, people just like you and I. And on the one hand, you may think, man, it sounds awfully depressing. You said I get to come to church and I get a good message and I get to walk out of here feeling good, and you just cussed me out. You called me ungodly, you called me a sinner, you called me an enemy, you called me a rogue, you called me separated from God, I ain't doing a whole lot for my self-esteem. Good. 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 Because you don't want to build yourself up in your self-esteem. Because your self-esteem can be manipulated. You can be feeling good about yourself today until somebody calls you a name. You can be feeling good about yourself today until you walk home and find out that your spouse has left you. You can be feeling good about yourself until you get that email from your child says, I never want to speak to you again. You can be feeling good about yourself until you go to work and the boss says that your job is finished. You cannot build on your own esteem. What we need is a Christ esteem, a Christ esteem that's established in my life because of what Christ is doing for us. Can you say amen? Shoot, and I forgot to say hello to the online campus. You've been joining us for now for the last 45 minutes. You just jumped right in. I mean, we just in it knee deep. I just cussed everybody out, but thank God for the blood of Jesus. Can we say amen? And so Titus 3, 3 through 8 says it like this. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, check this out, he saved us. I mean, that's worth noting. Let me just go back and tell you who he jumped in. He jumped into the middle of life of foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved people, living in malice, 
envy, hateful, detesting one another. If that was on anybody's job application, would you hire them? That was our resume. That was our resume. And in the middle of that, God said, go save them. Go save them. Christ appeared, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. That's the salvation that has come to us, a salvation that depends absolutely on the constancy of the love of God, a salvation that's not work-based. Christ didn't come to help us save ourselves. Christ didn't come to help us polish up our self-esteem. Christ didn't come to just light a spark in our potential. He came to save us from our sinful self, and he did it because he loved us. Karl Barth is noted as a, as a great theologian, and I, I, he was in his own right, a, a just not all theology of his do I agree with. He was a Swiss theologian, brilliant, brilliant man, um, but, but he was given a, a, a lecture, and one of the students asked him, you know, Dr. Barth, what is the greatest thought that's ever went through your mind? And if you've ever heard Karl Barth, Barth speak, you would think, I wonder what this guy thinks. And uh, so he asked, what was the greatest thought that's ever run through your mind? And, you know, you're thinking as brilliant as he is, he's going to just run off something like Einstein's theory of relativity. And he answers this, Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. That's how profound it gets. And that's as profound as it needs to be. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Can you say amen? Because he loves us, then we're saved from wrath. Saved from wrath. Wrath is a hard term. It's a heavy term. I've never sat down with anybody that I can think of. Maybe, maybe somebody I was mad at, but I don't think I've ever sat down with anybody that I wanted to come to Jesus and say, listen, I want you to be saved from wrath. Now again, maybe if I was mad at him and thought this was going hopeless. So it's not, the, it's, it's not one of those words that you just throw out at people. But I need you to know, the Bible is real clear that there is a justice of him and it doesn't end well for people who don't accept him. It doesn't end well. And I know that we have emotions about people who we may know that are not in relationship with Jesus now and maybe ended their life not in relationship with Jesus. And it emotionally affects us that this person, the alternative of where they're headed is an eternal damnation, separated from God. It emotionally plays on you. But I, I just got to tell you, it's right. It's right. It should be that way. It should be that way because 
If everybody gets to go to heaven no matter what, then what the heck are we doing here every week? Seriously. What are we doing here every week if everybody gets to go to heaven no matter what? No matter whether we believe in Jesus or don't believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter how you live, it doesn't matter how you respond to God, it's quite all right. It doesn't matter because we all get to go to heaven anyway. Now, I'm going to tell you another thing that ought to just overcook your grits. You want justice. You want justice. Every time we see something on TV that we know was wrong, what goes through your mind is, man, I hope justice comes. Who would want to serve a God that's not a just God? I was just talking to someone between first service and he was talking about one of his relatives who just is so overwhelmed about all the unrighteousness in the world that he can't even fathom coming to church. And I say, that's the very reason to come to Jesus. Because the only way that we got an assurance of righteousness is that we do serve a God who does love and who is just. It's not two separate things for God. When Jesus died on the cross, love and justice met on the cross and kissed each other and brought about the truth for every one of us. And that's why we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, because there is a righteousness to come. And if there is a righteousness to come, then that means there's an alternative for those who don't believe in him. But we've been saved from that. We've been saved from the wrath of God. We've been saved from the fear of death. It's that very reason that those of us that are believers, we understand what's going on in our life and the process of salvation. We get it that we've already been justified the moment that we indeed accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. That's a password. That's a salvation that's already been done. At that very moment that I give my life to Jesus Christ, no longer do I have any fear of the penalty of sin. I'm just going to tell you, church, I don't spend a winking moment being concerned about judgment. Not a winking moment because the price of my sin has already been paid by Jesus Christ. I don't spend a winking moment being worried about judgment. Now, I think about ways that I don't want to die. You know. Think about ways I don't want to die. Keep an eye on Virginia every night. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> You're so lovely. You all together love. I could, if you wasn't as sweet as you was, I could never get away uh, with this. But, <laughs> but I, can, I, can, I can certainly think of ways... I don't want to die, but you got to hear this. I'm not afraid of dying at all. Not afraid of dying because there's nothing for me to fear after that last breath. Nothing for me to fear. The penalty of sin is already paid. Sanctification, we're still going through that work. First phase of, 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 of uh, salvation being saved is justification. Sanctification is still going on. We're in that present process. The scripture says that those who are, who are the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, it's the power of God. God is working in us that the power of sin has no effect upon us. But then there's that last phase, that glorification. 
that day when we stand before the Lord, that future and final deliverance where we're absolutely free from the presence of sin and have no reason at all to be concerned about the wrath of God, that wrath that's going to be poured out on judgment day on those who have rejected him, those that have been stubborn, those that have been unrepentant, those who just haven't, who've been indifferent toward God. Scripture says in the last days, even in Revelation chapter 20, it's that time when, when God comes once and for all, and everybody who have not been justified by him will be cast into the lake of fire. And so it's a big deal. This is a big deal that Christ has shed his blood for us. It's a big deal that God has extended his righteousness and extended his love, and he's the, he's the just one and the justifier of everyone who believes. And because of that, John 5, 24 says this, truly I tell you, anyone who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. Watch this and will not come under judgment, but is passed from death to life. Can you say amen to that? Passed from death to life. So we've been reconciled. Don't have to worry about the wrath of God. Here we are as enemies according to verse number 10, and we've been reconciled to God. Reconciled to him, brought, brought in right relationship in spite of us at one time being enemies and ungodly and at one time being rebellious, we've been brought into a right relationship. Now we have the peace of living a life here on earth and all eternity with the God who saved us. He's reconciled us to him. We're no longer apart. We're no longer uh, in, at odds. We're no longer hostile. We're now at peace with God. That's because of the cross. Colossians 1, 21 and 22 says this, once you were alienated and hostile in your minds, expressed in your evil actions, but now he has reconciled you by his physical body through his death. We'll reflect it every time we do communion. Day after day, I hope you're mindful of the fact of what Christ has done for you. Body has been broken. Blood has been shed. It's through that death that we've now been reconciled. So watch this, so that he can present us holy, faultless, and blameless before him. That's the only way we get there is because of the blood of Jesus. You're not able, you're not going to sneak into heaven. I'm telling you, you you're not going to sneak in. You, you ain't going to be able to stand before him and, and just show yourself as if you ought to just have a right to get in. He's going to present us holy, blameless, and faultless. Now, if you're anything like me, it's, it's, it's hard for me to think of myself as blameless and faultless. I don't stand before you as Tyrone P. Jones, the most faultless pastor. Not, not at all. Blameless, holy, but that's what he's doing. He's doing that in us. When we've surrendered our life to him, he's doing that. Isn't it, isn't it good news that the pressure is not on you for the presentation? Jesus said, you just believe in me and believe in the blood that's cleansing. You trust in me and let me do the work. Let me be the one that presents you holy, faultless, and blameless. You know, there's a whole lot of joy in this. Think about this for a moment. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is going to be so satisfied in the work he's done in your life 
that you don't even have to go meet God the Father by yourself. Jesus is bringing you up there and introducing you to God the Father. Here he is. Here he is, Daddy. Faultless, holy, blameless. Because of what Jesus Christ is doing. And that's why we rejoice. I don't know where the worship team is. Probably on the smoke break. I'm almost done, y'all. They need to get back in here. I'm almost finished. Got, I got there a lot faster than I thought. Oh, there we are. There we are. Yeah, there we are. So, so that's why we rejoice. We rejoice because we absolutely know what Jesus Christ has done. Isn't that what Paul said? He says in verse number 11, so now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Friends of God. That's why we rejoice. That's why we rejoice of the hope of glory. That's why we rejoice through tribulations. That's why we rejoice because of what God has done. It's a boasting word. It's a word of excitement and emotion. Every one of us, I'm telling you folks, we all gonna have some bad days. We're going to have some tough days. We're going to have some challenging days. But hear me, nothing should be able to take away your desire and ability to rejoice that you have eternal life in Christ Jesus. At the end of it all, even if I couldn't fix the problem yesterday, I can wake up this morning just as joyful not because the problem's been fixed, but because I've been fixed. I've been redeemed. I've been set free. I got a hope. I got a promise. I am full of the love and the joy that comes from the Almighty God. The Spirit of God is living in you. That is a reason to rejoice. The world can go to hell in a handbasket, and we can still lift up our hands and shout hallelujah because we got a reason to rejoice. It's about the salvation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Everybody stand, if you would. Y'all owe me some credit, too. Boy, I got through this so fast. But, the, but, but you got it. Did you get it? Just tell me if you got it. Did you get it if you get it? Prayer team, if you'll come. Listen, I, I, I know this, that many, 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 many of us can indeed Embrace this message, celebrate it, declare victory, and we ought to. But I know this. There's something lacking in your life. There's something lacking in your life. If you can't spend your day with an attitude of rejoicing. The only promise or the only people in the scripture that the Bible says have a re reason to rejoice exceedingly above is those who know who their Savior is. If you hear and you're saying, I, I don't have that relationship with the Lord, I, I really want to get a hold of this rejoicing, this joy that you say you can have. Maybe, hopefully, you've come with somebody who's already exemplified that in your life. It doesn't begin with you meeting me. It doesn't even begin with you meeting anybody down in front of me. 
it begins with you meeting the one who died for you. It begins with meeting Jesus. Meeting Jesus. That, that tugging that you're feeling on the inside, that maybe you think you're feeling a little nervousness and a little anxiousness. I'm telling you right now, it's the Spirit of the Lord getting your attention, letting you know that He loves you. He wants to live with you. He wants to be with you for eternity. It begins by you allowing Jesus to be the Lord of your life. With every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here in the house and you haven't allowed Jesus to be the Lord of your life and fill you with joy, you haven't allowed Jesus to come into your heart and free you up from that fear of death, if you haven't allowed Jesus to come in your life and make you new, but you want to do that today. With heads bowed and eyes closed, if you, you can just lift your hand right where you are, and I'll pray for you right where you are. We'll celebrate with you. We'll join with you. If you've never made that commitment, God bless you there. God bless you, man. You want to make that commitment for the first time today. If you're here, you're in a safe place. You're in a good place. God bless you. I see your hand back there. And I know it takes courage. I know it takes courage. But I'm telling you, if you sincerely want Christ, it will be the best thing that you ever do. There's a couple that's made that commitment. While our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, let's just pray together with those who've made that commitment. Those of you that lifted your hand, you can pray this with us. Lord Jesus. I need everybody to help us do this. We just had two people that want Jesus Christ. We want to join with them, all right? Let's, let's, let's let them know they're in a safe place. They're among family. Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on the cross for all of my sins. I'm so thankful for being forgiven. Today I begin a new life. Fill me with your spirit. I want to rejoice in you now and forever. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give God a praise. He's worthy of it. We're going to go. The worship team is going to take us into that song, Jesus is the center of it all. If you've made that commitment of faith for the first time and you want to follow up with that, which I encourage you to, please come on down. Let one of these dear people take it from there and help you work through whatever process you need to grow in him and to know him better. Help you get to that place of being baptized. The, the team is here, though, for any other needs you have. Whatever prayer needs you have or desires uh, that you want to bring before the Lord and you want someone to join with you, they're here to pray with you. I encourage you to not only rejoice today, I want to see you hopefully tonight in our prayer time. But, but the thing is, that's something that you know to do. If you know to rejoice, can I just tell you, now our responsibility is to let others know about that same opportunity to rejoice. We got friends, we got family who needs this, who needs this. We all know people who we desire to be happy. We want them to be beyond happy. We want them to be full of joy. And that joy comes from Christ alone. God bless you. Let's worship him. You have a great day.